You know, there was this fellow that he needed a brake job on his automobile. And his neighbor said, you know what, I'll, I can do that and I'll be glad to do that for you. Just just bring your car over and I'll, I'll do this brake job and I'll, I'll get those things fixed up for you. And the guy, the neighbor said, well, how much is it going to cost me? He said, he said, nothing. I, I would be glad to do it for you. I, I'm, I'm, uh, well able and I have the ability and the experience to do it. Just bring your car over and I'll do it. And, and I'm not going to charge you anything. But if you want to stand over my shoulder and watch me change these brakes, I'm probably going to charge you about $25. If you want to do that, if you want to help me change the brakes on your car, I'm probably going to charge you $50 for that. And if you try to fix those brakes by yourself and then bring me your car, I'm going to charge you $100. You just you just bring me your car and I'll fix them for free, though. And that's a whole lot like the doctrine of God's salvation. He saves us by His power. And after He saves us, He sanctifies us by His power. And He doesn't need any of our help to do that. Alright? That's something that He has the ability to do. All we have to do is submit ourselves to them, to Him. And that's a lot of uh, the doctrine that we're going to share tonight. Uh, Paul has gone in the first couple of chapters from defense of his God-given apostleship to doctrine of the God-given truth. And as we start in verse 1, we're going to somewhat refresh ourselves here, bring ourselves up to speed, and see the quarrel in verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. And as we've shared, the, the outsiders, the Judaizers, were coming into the churches in Galatia that, that knew the truth. They were saved by grace, and they were trying to contaminate. They can't contaminate the gospel, but they could try to contaminate the minds of the believers in the gospel in these Galatian churches. And and I can't understand it, but, but they were having some success with them. They were starting to listen to the things that were being said by these Judaizers as guests into the church. And Paul calls them foolish. Oh, Foolish Galatians. They were foolish in their judgment and they were foolish in their discernment concerning listening to something that was outside of the truth that saved them and outside of the doctrines that they had been taught. The word foolish, it means unintelligent and it means unwise. Paul is calling his brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ there in Galatia, un you unintelligent, you unwise. But it's actually even stronger than that. It's, it's really strong language. I would not be, in, be exaggerating if I said Paul was saying, you airheads and, and you idiots. Okay? Paul, God was going on ahead and speaking through Paul's frustration as he used Paul to write this. This was a greater harshness than Paul used to the church, to the church at Corinth. 
And think of all the immoral things and all of the things that were just listed. Everything that seemed like it could possibly be wrong in the church was wrong in the church there. And yet he was more harsh with with the churches in Galatia. And that goes to show us how important it is that we embrace God's truth. And, and, and the, his doctrine, the, the true doctrine. And, and so he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He's saying, who has cast a spell on you? And, and, and that word bewitched, it was a word that the Christians could identify with there because in the community, in the area, in the surrounding cities, there was this playing around with magic. And there was this superstition stuff that was going on. And they well knew about it. They were familiar with the word bewitched and what it meant. And it's not that Paul thought that this was the avenue of evil that was coming into the church through things like this. But what the Judaizers were doing to these Christians in Galatia, it had, it was a very similar process to those that would practice magic or, or witchcraft on you or whatever. And the outcome was, if you see in the verse here, that you, they were not obeying the truth. They quit listening and yielding to God's Word, the most important thing for us as children of God. They kind of set that on the back burner and they were more interested in other things that were going on and they should never do something like that. And as a result of that, they had a this false refreshment of hearing something new. And something different. How would you like to hear something new and something different? I I tell you what, concerning God's Word and being in the Lord's house, I I don't want to. You know, I I was out a while back. I had the privilege to go preach uh, for for a pastor friend. and, And Brother Tony taught the Sunday school class. And he taught Acts chapter 3. And and he kind of told me how far he got along. He said, go ahead and, you know, teach it over if you want. Go through the whole chapter. Uh, I, I mean, he was just kind of talking to me about it. And and I did. I went on ahead and I preached Acts chapter 3 again. I'm a chapter behind you, Rick. I, we're, not, we're not in sequence right now. But... Uh, and I did that kind of for my own benefit. I didn't want to lose track as we're, as we're going along through 30-something lessons. I wanted all of them. Okay? And... Um, and one of the teenagers came up to me and said, Brother Kenneth, that lesson was, it, it, it was like almost the same as when Brother Tony taught it. And I said, well, praise God. Amen. That's good because there's one truth. And, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's all the same. Look, when we hear something new and something different, that's when the red flag should go up. That's not something refreshing. That's a warning sign. And we should never make it a welcome sign when there's something new being discussed. But Galatia, they, were, they weren't focused on the divine doctrines of the Word of God. And and especially the gospel. These Judaizers were coming in trying to mess with, with the all-sufficient, complete, finished work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its saving grace. He, he says, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified, Among you, that doesn't mean 
that the Christians in Galatia saw the crucifixion of of Jesus. Uh, They didn't. It means that Paul preached and proclaimed the gospel so powerfully with all of its details from, from every aspect, from every angle, that they should have been able to picture it in their minds just as they received it in their heart. When he, when he says, but before your eyes, Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You, you received the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been taught. That should have been enough. You should have kept your focus there and, and consider him always. And that should have been enough to keep you from even listening or, or stepping out just a little bit into entertaining the ideas of these people. Uh, whatsoever. They, the Christians in Galatia, they accepted God's salvation freely by grace through faith. They were set free from the burden of the law. Okay, no more burden over their head, no more cloud over their head. But the lies were so deceiving that were coming into the church and what they were trying. You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to do something. The Judaizers were that was impossible to bring them back under the burden of the law and undo the finished work of their salvation that they had received by faith. Now, that's impossible to do. No matter how much entertaining of their ideas they did, no matter how they started living and how they started thinking, if they were truly saved, that's impossible to do. It's impossible to undo God's salvation. It's impossible to be under the burden of the law once you're saved. Now, they could go through the motions of it and and, and just let their mind go somewhere, but it's impossible to, to do that and take away the salvation they've received by faith. And so that is the quarrel here. And, and it was in question form we see in verse 1. But as we look in verses 2 through 5, I would like us to look at a very skilled, prepared, designed series of questions that God used through Paul to convince these Christians of the error of their way. And the question in verse 2 had to do with the birth of their salvation. He says, this only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, now when you received the Spirit, that is exactly when you were saved. When you're saved, you received the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, if any man have not the Spirit, he is none of his. So, so when, when they received the Spirit, this is their day of salvation. And, and so he goes on to say in question form concerning the birth of their salvation, when, when you were saved, when you received God's Holy Spirit, when, when that happened, what was your life all about? Were you striving to live by the demands of God's laws and God's principles the best you can to achieve what God demands? Were you doing that? Or Paul's saying, did I come along and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that you receive it by grace through faith, and you believe the message that I was preaching to you. And Paul knew, as he asked, that the only answer that they could give is, well, well, it was by faith 
when we heard the gospel. It, it had nothing to do with the law and, and keeping God's commands. We weren't doing that. It, it was by faith that we were saved. I imagine when they read this, they all looked around at each other and had looks on their faces as if they'd been slapped away from the dinner table for bad manners or something. Can you imagine these questions are so beautifully organized? They were given the Spirit by faith when they were saved. And Paul had, no doubt, Paul had taught them on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and different aspects and doctrines of the Holy Spirit. As a good example of that is going back to chapter 1, verse 9. He said, As we said before, so now I say again, if any man come unto you preaching some of the gospel, let him be accursed. He had already taught that. that. That's not because he said it two times in a row and he's repeating himself. That's not why he said, as I said before, so now I say again. He had taught them all about this before when he was with them. And, and so the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers you and I to be able to live according to the truth. And they received the Holy Spirit when they were saved. That's what happens when you're saved. And, and now he asks another question and we, question, and we go from the, a question on the birth of their salvation to the beginning of their salvation. He says in verse three, are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? The power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit that comes into the life of one that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and they start their Christian life being, being heavenly led by the Holy Spirit of God. And he said, and he said, that's how you started. Are you going to ignore that now? And are you going to live in, in a way that's pleasing to God by your self effort? Are you leaving all the divine assistance that you have? And is this the way to do it really on your own by, by self-effort for God? Paul asked this because that's exactly how the Jews have been leading these Christians to try to do. You, you know, and to tell the human being to do something on their own, to earn something heavenly. Man, I tell you what. That is intoxicating concerning pride in an individual. I mean, the devil can get to people through pride. I knew of a preacher, uh, a great preacher, and, and you couldn't get to him concerning money. Um, I mean, God's Word and the ministry he is a part of, you couldn't phase him with money. You couldn't phase him with a woman. I mean, he loved his wife, stayed close to his wife, and he was consumed with her, and he wasn't interested in any other female in this world. But when it came to pride, when it came to looking at all the ministry that God had used him for, and all the many souls saved, he fell into a very sinful pride. And so, you take someone coming to you, telling you that you in a human manner, can earn something heavenly with God on your own, and it intoxicates people with pride. Many religions have such a huge quantity of people because they're building their ego by self-righteous deeds, believing it will earn them a place in heaven. 
I wrote down a statement by a fellow named Bartlett. I don't remember his first name. But he wrote, put no trust in anyone who seeks to lure you away from simple reliance upon your all-sufficient Savior. And then we go into verse 4. And we see a question hitting the point of the blessings and burdens in their salvation. Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Now that word suffered, as you all will agree with me, that we, we think of that in the negative sense, to suffer. But the, but the definition of that word, it's also rarely used, but it is used in the positive sense sometimes. And so as Paul says, uh, have you suffered so many things in vain? Having, having them reflect back on their Christian life, they can reflect back to the time they were saved, and Paul started teaching them and established churches, and they went through some persecution. I mean, there, there was no doubt many blessings for them. There's many blessings in becoming a child of God. I remember when I was first saved from my sins by the Lord Jesus Christ, became His child, knowing that our sins are washed away and, and that there's a home in heaven for you. What a, what a wonderful thing. There are many blessings in that. But there, are, there were also many burdens for the Christians in Galatia, such as Paul's stoning for one. I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 14, verse 19. And it says, There came thither a certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Antioch and Iconium, the, these were these were a couple of cities that the Galatian churches were in, as as well as many others, okay? And and the Galatian Christians were told in verse twenty two of the same chapter of Acts, uh chapter fourteen, they were encouraged to continue in the faith, and they were told, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So no doubt there were some blessings, but there were definitely some burdens that they went through. There was, I don't know of many places there, that there wasn't heavy persecution around back then. And definitely Galatia saw that. They uh, hands-on with the stoning of Paul. And the readers of this letter, they are probably thinking of their previous Christian experience and all they've been through, all they've suffered negatively with Paul, all the blessings that they had. And then, and then at the end of this question, it's like Paul is saying, really? Are, are you kidding me? Seriously? Is all of this really going to be for nothing for you? Are you really going to turn away from everything you've had in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? To go off and listen to these things? Well, we've had some questions on, on the, the birth of their salvation, the, the beginning of their salvation, the blessing and burdens. Now, the, the actual bearing of their salvation. Let's look at that in verse 5. He says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, worketh miracles among, among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. 
Back then, the Word of God wasn't complete at that time. So therefore, uh, special miracles were done and it confirmed those that were God's people that were teaching the truth, that were the true uh, apostles of God. And, and, it show, and it showed evidence and proof that, that the true gospel message was coming to them and that it was of God. And by the way, these Judaizers, they didn't, they didn't offer up anything to show any evidence that the message that they were proclaiming was of God in any way. So Paul brings back up the miraculous things that were done among them that could only be done of God. It was confirming them in the truth. And Paul asked, were these miraculous works, were they a result of, and of, of doing the deeds of the law? Is that how these things came about? Or were they spiritual gifts given by faith? None of the answers are given here because they're obvious. In every one of these things, it is by believing and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never did the deeds of the law produce anything like this. And so, what a bunch of great articulated questions that were given to him. But I'll call this the quencher as we look in verses 6 through 9 when Abraham comes up. Don't you know that those Judaizers talked about Abraham and how how they're, they're, they're chosen? I know you have your mercy and your grace and, 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 and saved and all this stuff, but, but, but we're God's chosen people. You know, we're, we're the children of Abraham. Uh, we don't need that. You know, and, and Abraham, he did a lot of things. Abraham did a lot of good things. Abraham did a lot of godly things. But Abraham believed in the Lord before he ever did anything. Okay? Abraham uh, is not a deeds of the law work reference for anyone at all, you won't find it in the Bible. Abraham is a faith reference. He's a great man of faith. He wasn't a great man of the, of the deeds of the law, of doing good, of, of living by God's Word, and that's how he became what he was. He was a great man of faith, and he started out just as you and I did, and he believed in the Lord. Look at verse 6. It says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God doesn't give righteousness for the good that we do. He did. That's not how we get righteousness. He gives it only where there's faith. He imputes righteousness. How, how would you like to have a million dollars put in your bank account? Well, something that's a whole lot better than that is having righteousness put to your account of your soul by God, and it's, and it's by faith. It's by believing. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we become righteous. You are righteous by faith. And that is very important that you and I are righteous, because it takes the righteousness of God to meet His standards, for Him to be accepting of us, for us to go to heaven. 
You, I've said it and I'll say it again because it really, it really explains it well. You have to be as good as God to get to heaven. And, and, and people say that's unfair. Well, God gives you His perfection and His goodness by imputing righteousness to you when you trust in Jesus as your Savior. You are righteous by faith and accepted by God that way. Verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. The Jews believed that Abraham was their ticket to heaven because they were in the lineage. So they didn't think they needed anything else. But the important thing about being related to Abraham is not being through the lineage. Look, look, Jesus came unto His own and His own received Him not. When the, the Jews were the chosen people, God was going to save them, then spread the gospel throughout them. Most of them weren't willing, so God just saved Gentiles, saved all by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are related to Abraham by faith. That That's what's important. That's the important bonding agent with Abraham. Look, Abraham had to have faith, and we had to have faith. And hey, it's the, it's the same faith. It's the same faith that we have with God that Abraham had with God. Look at verses 8 and 9, and let's see what God talked about with Abraham. It says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The gospel hasn't just been saving people and being preached for for the last 2,000 years, okay? It's been much longer than that that the gospel has been preached. God preached the gospel to Abraham. And this is how Abraham was saved. The gospel has been around for a long, long Long time, Peter said, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The gospel has never not existed, okay? God's love has never not existed. The gospel is God's love. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel has always been what God is. It, it, it has always existed. What, what a wonderful thing. So, so when the, the, I'll just say the people come to your doorstep, and they say God didn't know Adam was going to sin or, or he wouldn't have, have did, done things that way, go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and tell him, well, well, the sacrifice for sins was predestined before Adam was ever born and, and ever created. But anyway, this we see as the quencher here. Uh, that the gospel has always been God's love. Abraham was saved by faith in the gospel, just as you and I have been. And that is how we're righteous. And that's how we're related to, to righteous Abraham. And concerning heaven, that's all that matters concerning relation to Abraham. But, uh, but So as we look at that quencher there, because, because the Judaizers, they accept Abraham. 
They, 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 they put a lot on Abraham. So I would call that the quencher, that Abraham was saved by the gospel that they're rejecting and trying to contaminate and contaminate the minds of the believers. But let's go into verse 10 now, and we're going to see a quandary. A quandary for the Jews. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The Judaizers believe that the law and to observe the law and to keep the law, which they could not do. They, they kind of ignored that part. They loved going out in the town square, though, and pointing out everyone that, that was breaking the law. You see, they knew the law of the Lord. They just didn't know the Lord of the law. Okay? And, and they were missing a lot there. And so they're in a quandary. They believe that the cure is to do good deeds of observing God's law and to earn salvation. And, and, and the compromise that they're making with Galatia, because they, they, they said we're saved by grace. We, we are children of God. Well, well, you've got to keep the law. You've got to maintain that. And the law is important. The law is good. You need to live by the law. And by the way, we're going to live by the law as children of God better than we ever could, even if, even if we thought it meant life or death. And we were unsaved, though, and trying to get to heaven that way. We're going to keep the law a whole lot better as children of God. But but what they thought was a cure is really a curse. It's God's curse. Let me take just a minute, and I would like to read in Deuteronomy chapter 27, starting in verse 15. It says, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven image or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and putteth it to a secret place. And all the people shall answer... And say, Amen. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way. Cursed be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, fatherless and widow. Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife because he uncovereth his father's skirt. Cursed be he that lieth with any manner of beast. Cursed be he that lieth with the sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Cursed be he that lieth to his mother-in-law lieth with his mother-in-law. Cursed be he that smiteth his neighbor secretly. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And the people shall say, Amen. What they thought was a cure was a curse. Because the law, God's law, this religion of theirs, look, the law demands perfection. There's no mercy in the law. There's no grace offered through the law. The slightest deviation from God's law is not tolerated and it brings upon one the full penalty. And this is what they're trying to do to, to create their man-made salvation and, and to contaminate the Christians in Galatia. Are you with me? And about salvation. And Jesus said this about salvation in Mark chapter 10. He said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. The Jews are trying to convince Galatia that the impossible is possible, though. And, and, this, and, and everything we're sharing that, that tears down that card house from the bottom card, and it all falls, 
tears down that theology. Look, it's still being attempted today. The strongest, richest religion in the world is, is doing this very same thing today. So we see the quandary that the Jews have. They think they have the cure, but it's actually a curse. And a, it's a curse that was assigned by God. But let's look at the quotation that Paul makes. Let's look at that in verse 11. It says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith, Paul says. The just shall live by faith. That's not New Testament Scripture. Well, well, it is because Paul repeated it, but he repeated it from Habakkuk chapter 2, an Old Testament prophet, those that the Jews would accept. And Habakkuk said, the just shall live by his faith. There's no escaping the penalty of the law without faith. There's no deeds that can be done that are good enough. There's nothing in man's own ability that's good enough. There's no escaping the penalty of the law without faith. So therefore, we see the quitting. The quitting in starting in verse 12. It says, And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So, we, so we've... Quit trying to earn a salvation or maintain a salvation when we come to a place of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is not of faith. The works of the law and faith and trust, believing in Jesus Christ, these two oppose one another. The law cannot be added to faith. So, in other words, the statement that you might hear from someone, well, I, I know that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you've got to live it or you're not going to be able to go to heaven. Well, no, that's someone trying to combine the deeds of doing good, the law, with faith. And the law and faith, it's like when you put two liquids together in a glass. I can't think of two right now, but I know there's a lot. And they, they, don't, they don't mix with one another. They're, they're a perfect level there. And and that's exactly how things are with the law and with faith. Look, if we're in the will of God, we're going to live right. I mean, that's what we're called to do. We're called to glorify God. That's exactly what we should do is live right. But that has nothing to do with our eternal position. It is sealed. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Okay, our position is untouchable. Now, if we're not living in the will of God, if we're not doing what this Bible says, now we're in a miserable condition. We're going to be miserable as children of God if we're not living by the law of the Lord. But we're not living by it to try to earn anything or to maintain anything. We're living by it because God's leading us to by the conviction of His Holy Spirit that we might fulfill our purpose in this life by glorifying God. But it does not touch, do anything to our position. It will put us in a miserable condition, though, if we're not living in the will of God. But So let us look at this quitting as we close up in verses 13 and 14 and quit. It says, Christ hath redeemed us 
from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We quit. We, We quit trying to do that when we were saved. And we quit trying to do that because we've been redeemed from that curse of the law. From the, from the law that, that we look at and we, and we saw our lives when we're unsaved and it says you, you'll never be good enough. You can't, you can't do this. That's what the law says. It's a mirror in our face saying we, we need help. We need a Savior. We need a Lord and Savior. And we've been redeemed from a curse that we couldn't redeem. The law never meant to cure, but to curse. And we, we all have, we all fell under that curse, but Jesus was made that curse for us. As we talk during praise reports about truly thanking God for the gift of His salvation that He has given us, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was made a curse for you and I. Our cursed. We were going to be cursed. But he took it upon, upon himself. Paul also said back in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took our place. Jesus Christ fulfilled God's law. He paid our fine. He bought us by the price of His life. He paid for our lives with His own precious blood. We are blessed with faithful Abraham, not not through any deeds of the law. Never consider that for anything to do with your position. We are blessed through Jesus Christ by faith. It, it is by believing. It's the, it's the free gift of God that He's given us. And, and if we're not living for the Lord, we're going to be miserable throughout this life. But, but you just understand that about your position. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you to try to abuse the grace of God and not be a good steward of it and say, well, well, I'm, well, I'm saved. I can sin all I want and I can go to heaven. That, that's a, I, I don't mind saying what I'm saying about our position that it's sealed because God's going to spiritually lead you to meditate upon that salvation that He's given you and glorify Him and, and to live for Him. But, but praise God for the free gift He's given us by faith and we will pick up in chapter 15. Next time we get together, Brother John Weisenbaker, would you close us in a word of prayer?